Well, greetings. Welcome to The Dividing Line. We're back in the real studio, and my Grand Canyon thing is hanging at an angle again. I can't tell you how many times I've done an entire program staring at that wall, and then we've done this one thing right next to the light switch, and I think it gets hit when you hit the light switch. And so it gets bounced off, so it's it's at an angle. And it's really annoying. <laughs> it's the things you don't see behind the camera. And, of course... Having been doing the driving line the past few days, um, you don't have to worry about things like that. You do have to worry about construction zones and uh, deer. Uh, that that always freaks me out when I'm driving in the dark, uh, especially in Pennsylvania. I saw a number once of how many tens of thousands of deer get killed. And that means, man, body shops must be doing a bang-up job in, uh, in Pennsylvania. Um, but anyway, uh, you've got other things to worry about when you're doing the driving line. I hope you have been catching them. I think we covered some really important ground in the last two, uh, that we did in addressing key issues, uh, in the current debates. Well, they should be key issues. Um, as I, as I wrote this morning, I actually wrote something this morning. Because I don't know if it's just simply the spoken word that some people just don't get. Uh, maybe they have to read something to be able to to see what someone's saying. I I don't know, but I uh, I took the time this morning to pop up an article on the Theology Matters blog to attempt to again bring some level of clarity to the. Uh, one-sided conversations that are taking place. Let's put it that way. And uh, so make sure to catch the, uh, the programs we did while driving uh, back from Louisiana. I, I should, I guess, uh, say a tremendous uh, thanks to everyone that was involved over, in some cases, a matter of hours um, in making it possible for us to make a, a major change in the uh, safety, uh, longevity, and comfort of the traveling that I'm doing uh, by the roads in the United States. Um, we made a quick mention, actually, on my way home, right before we, we got home, um, about the fact that basically we had, we had had our truck uh, looked at carefully by an expert, expert, expert. And it was doing great. Uh, it was in great shape. Uh, described the uh, transmission oil as pristine. Uh, transmission fluid as pristine. Um, no signs of wear. But then he said, however, <laughs> he said, um, you need a bigger truck. <laughs> Just what, what you're asking it to do. And I told you what had happened when Google tried to kill me. It wasn't. You know, this is sort of an illustration of what Google did to me would not be first degree murder, <laughs> more like third degree, something like that, because Google didn't know. And there's a way of telling Google, believe me, I've looked um, that I'm 44 feet long and 13 feet high and now be like 45 and a half feet long. And, and we really need to measure this time, very accurately, exactly how tall I'll be, given our new pull vehicle. Um, 
But uh, like I said, Google tried to kill me by routing me through. I think they I think they filmed Deliverance. Okay, I, th- <laughs> I think this is where they filmed Deliverance. I really do. It was it was high up in the Appalachians, and um, that poor that poor truck was pulling my unit up eight eight percent grades, and it was it was working hard. Anyway, after all that, you know, uh, you know, the guys say you just you just need a bigger truck, and so I, I won't tell you the whole story, but it was it was Providence. Providence just kept providencing all over the place, and I had been given a business card. I found out I didn't tell you this. Uh, I found out I had been given a business card on a dare uh, when I was speaking in Louisiana last year. And let me tell you something, you know, Cajuns get a bad rap, but I. Folks in Louisiana are just, they're just servants and just as nice as the day is long. And they'll give you the shirt off their back. And um, that those are those are really, really special people down there. And we will be back, by the way. We did schedule uh, while I was there that um, we're going to combine the Jeffrey Rice thing in Tennessee in mid-February. Uh, with a trip there to the church, uh, the people that were involved in helping us do this, um, the church there in the Lafayette area in Louisiana. So mid-February, there'll be two spots down there, Tennessee and Louisiana, where we're going to be um, two weekends in a row. And um, so anyway, um, need to thank all the folks that were involved in doing that. I had been given that card, and we just decided... Let's reach out because, you know, I get given people give me a lot of cards and not all of them get kept, partly because, you know, they get put inside something and you, you know, I'll my my grandchildren will find some of the cards I've been given in in books uh, that I happen to be carrying that night. Uh, oh, look at this. Uh, you know. um, and so I, I didn't even know if this fellow would still even be working where he was working before. You know, I mean, it'd been a about a year and people move on and, but something had, I had felt compelled to keep that card and to keep it where I knew where it was in the RV. And so I grabbed it when I got home and that night I fired off a email and said, you know, I don't even know if you're still working here. I, you know, I don't, but we're looking at, uh, upgrading our truck. Uh, and if you know anything about trucks, we had a 1500. Uh, that's a half ton, right? Half ton. Right. And we decide we need a 2500, which is a three quarter ton. And we need to go from a gas engine to a diesel engine because diesels are just, if you know anything about torque and stuff like that, diesels are meant to pull things. That's why, that's why diesel tractor trailers are diesel tractor trailers. And, um, Next morning, I mean, I, I get out of bed first day back from a 5,500-mile trip, and here's an email with links to vehicles, and I sent it to Rich, and it didn't take us very long uh, to look at one of them and go, ooh, wow. And I'll just be very honest with you, this, this vehicle, whoever designed it, uh, pulled fifth wheels. <laughs> I mean, it's just... 
It's specifically designed. The thing's got a camera in the bed focused on where the hitch would go, and it's got a hitch system in it already. Um, So you can do the lineup. You know, I, with the other truck, I would, I was looking through, (laughs) there was a little loop on the center part of the back seat. That was, that's what I used. That's just, Look through the rearview mirror, look, find the loop, try to line it up that way. Um, and and then, then you'd have to jump out and then you'd get between the unit and the truck and look up along the thing to, to see you know where it is in the hitch. And anyway, uh, whoever designed this went through all those things and decided there's an easier way <laughs> than there is. Um, and then, you know, you have to get the funding and, um, Everybody who gives to the travel fund is is helping with all this stuff. Because I, uh, once I got the truck, I did have to fly. Oh, what's that? I won't waste your time, but it is. I will tell you this: I flew once to go see my dad um, before he died in uh, 2020, and that was right as masks were just starting, and. Um, so basically the last time I really flew was in 2019 before all this started. That gave me an opportunity. I'm, I flew 165,000 miles in 2019. So I was a frequent flyer, executive platinum, the whole nine yards. Now I'm flying as just Joe, Joe Schmo. And I can, I can look at the airports. I don't, did I tell you? Sky Harbor airports, pigsty. It's like they lost all of their janitors. It's, it, I couldn't believe it. it. reminded me of Detroit back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And Sky Harbor used to be a really pretty airport. And the look on everyone's faces. Everyone is on standby because their flights have been canceled. It's just, everybody just looks at each other like, can you believe we're going to? It was really weird. Now, God was very kind to me. And I got where I was going without any canceled flights. Um, that was extremely helpful. I was very, 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 very concerned about that. Um, but I flew out to Louisiana. A dear, dear brother um, is has, has made this possible for us to do this. Um, and so we we got this truck and they pulled it up. I walked outside. I'm just like, <laughs> because you can read that it's six inches taller than your full size pickup truck you already have, and almost two feet longer. You can read that, but until until you stand there and you 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 can barely see over the hood <laughs> sideways, you know, and until you just see the size of this beast it's just like what and and rich said rich says because see on the old one we we had to install lights on it because i had that really close call remember uh in florida where the little guy in the chevette almost became a pancake because he couldn't see me or wasn't looking who knows it was on facebook i don't know um this thing lights up the night it it has one, two, three, four, five 
yellow running lights just on the roof facing forward and two on each side and fog lights and it, yeah, it lights up the night. And of course the, the rear view mirrors, those big towing mirrors that go in and out and stuff like that. So yeah, it, <laughs> first time I saw it, I'm like, Oh my goodness. I've never driven a diesel. I didn't know what death was. Okay. I know what death. Well, I had heard of it. I had heard rich talking about it. Uh, a couple of months ago when there was like a shortage going on and stuff like that. Uh, but now I get to do def. Uh, and if you drive a diesel, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, it's a, it's a different world. And uh, coming back, it, it, let's just put it this way. Doing the driving line in that thing is pretty easy to do because I can use the cruise control. You might go, why couldn't you use the cruise control before? While pulling, you couldn't. And if I, if I hadn't been pulling, I could have been the other truck as well. But she just doesn't slow down for hills. You know, I don't have to be pushing it to try to keep the speed up or keep up with a semi-trailer or something like that when I'm going up a hill. And uh, so it worked out really well. So anyway, I'm, I'm home for what is, uh, what is today? I mean, uh, today's the 14th. So we're halfway through October. So about six weeks approximately, maybe a little less than that. I'm probably going to have to leave right after Thanksgiving uh, to uh, head for uh, St. Charles. And uh, we're going to be doing um, some Texas stops on the way back there. Um, well, on the way back from there, I mean. And uh, so in Lubbock and um, the name in East Texas, it's not, it's, it's North west of lindale okay uh one of my students at gbts we're gonna be going there we'll we'll put stuff up to let people know uh about these things and uh so that's that's gonna be the next trip and so i will be home for a while we'll be here in the studio lord willing and uh, i do want to do what i said on the driving line and do some stuff on the council of calcis and stuff like that and let me let me just start there just just a couple of brief comments <clears throat> I, I just want to point out to people you did, was there something you wish to uh, add? Because you did get to see uh, uh, Doggy uh, today. Oh. Yes, you have to put your earpiece in to hear me. So uh, a couple of things. First of all. I've uh, always had to do that, and I normally don't. So. Yes, well, there's that, too. A <laughs> mm. um, couple of things. I, um, from Twitch, uh, one gentleman says that I need to let you know that I-10 is not South Texas. It's more the south side of Central Texas. So that there, there's that. Excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> um, but, uh, when, when I, te- when I can see Mexico from I 10, <laughs> you can't get any more South than that. Well, but that's an area when you're getting into El Paso, right? That's still central Texas. Cause no, it's not. There's that whole bottom part of no. the state, oh, you know? Okay. All right. Whatever you say, whatever you say, whatever you so. say. And I'm thinking, you know, maybe um, Goliath may be the other nickname for that truck because that's <laughs> that's really got a Goliath thing going on in there. When I saw it, I'm like, wow, that is. So yes, and uh, somebody said it's uh, highway exegesis uh, is what we're doing now. Yes. So I'll, I'll let you get to the council at Calcedon. I just thought I'd mention that. Right. Okay. <laughs> well, thank before you. we let it go, you know. I, I, I look. I get it. If, if, if you're just looking at Texas as a box, then I get it. All right. 
Okay. But where I was in Texas, you couldn't get any more south and still be in Texas. So it, the fact of the matter is, Texas is not a state. It is a nation. Uh, and trying to... Um, <laughs> Siri... Siri, Siri was transcribing everything I was saying, so it's talking about Texas and everything else, and it's like, uh, yeah, never mind. <clears throat> Thanks, Siri. Uh, when you've been gone for five weeks, I said Siri, so it started doing it in. Uh, when you've been gone for five weeks, it, it takes you've got so much stuff to catch up on. It's it's not even it's not even funny, um, and that's what I was doing there. All right, uh, sorry, interrupted there. Really quickly. For everybody who's sick and tired of being sick and tired of current controversies, can I tell you something? No one's more sick and tired than I am. Nobody. Um, when you're being canceled, when you're being slandered, when you're being misrepresented every day, when you're actually getting close to experiencing the same le level of derangement syndrome that Doug Wilson experiences, uh, it gets tiring. There's there nobody nobody loves that kind of stuff at all, and they're lying if they say they do. And I know Doug says you're supposed to go around the corner and go yes, and you can do that a few times, but about the forty seventh time it starts getting a little old. And so I hear you, um, and I hope that what you hear is this: this isn't about at its base esoteric complex, um, fine points of Trinitarian theology that many people who are now promoting them will admit no one had heard of, uh, except a very few people in the past, and no one for the past number of decades had had any idea that these were the very things that define Trinitarian theology. Um. Uh, also, please keep in mind that a few of my friends have taken the time to be kind enough to go back. And when, you've, when your ministry's, as of next year, is 40 years old, you have a track record. And so if people want to invest the time, they can go back and they can discover what has actually been said in the past. And the reality is, uh, for example, this morning, um, issue came up about the nature of the incarnation being not a subtraction, but an addition. That is uh, the taking on of a perfect human nature. And, and I'm like, yeah, ever listen to my favorite debate with a Muslim, my debate with Abdullah Kunda at University of New South Wales down in Australia from 2011? Uh, ever, ever listened to my my teaching on these issues in the past, that's been a key element of what I've said all along. And so, so people have been going back and they've, they've been demonstrating that when I keep saying, yeah, I've been saying this for a long, long time, and now, now people are either questioning that or they're saying, no, you know, we, we need to express it this way or uh, uh, veiling is the wrong term and as if there is a, you know, it's funny, Sorry, but I was I'll, I'll never I'll never ever remember this if I don't if I don't say it now. People are complaining about the use of the term veiling 
in regards to the incarnation. And the thought crossed my mind either yesterday or today, I think it was this morning. What term would you like to use? I mean, you can talk about uh, appropriation and you can, you can make up terms that make it look like you're actually answering a question when all you're doing is just moving, moving the question back and then, you know, erasing the line in the sand with your foot as if no one's going to notice. Um, but what term are you going to use? And veiling is actually has a biblical connection, a directly biblical connection. And I was thinking about the language that John uses when he talks about the incarnation. And he says, I remember decades and decades and decades ago, um, sometime around Christmas, uh, right when I first started learning Greek, I uh, had the pleasure of sitting around and talking with my dad about what he had learned from Kenneth Wiest at Moody Bible Institute back in the 1950s. And one of the things, I think there was a, Wiest had a, Wiest word studies, and there was a thing where he did gems and something, I, f- I forget what the name was, but insights into the Greek New Testament. And one of them that my dad and I talked about was this term, uh, skenao, in John 1.14, because it literally means to pitch a tent, to dwell in a tent. It's to tabernacle. And so, you know, when we say the word became flesh and dwelt among us, dwelt is sort of a, I don't know, um, not, a, not an overly descriptive term for the actual original. Well, what is a tent? It's a veil. And in fact, the tabernacle was a big tent, and the tabernacle had what in it? A veil. And so there is a, there is a uh, biblical connection. I mean, John 1.14 is one of the key incarnational texts. In fact, in some ways, it is the key incarnational text. Um, and it uses that terminology of veiling, tabernacling, dwelling within a tent. So it's just, it's just amazing to me that terminology that was considered perfectly accurate in the past has now got to pass the muster of a very narrow, primarily Roman Catholic uh, defined uh, series of terms and, and perspectives. So anyway, what I was trying to say and have been sidetracked a number of times because I keep thinking about these things is I, I hope you recognize the fundamental issue here is not these particular doctrines like the extended implications of divine simplicity, that extended assertion of divine simplicity and um, ISO, ISO, inseparable operations and and we've already gotten to the point where if, if you disagree with any of this stuff, it's just because you're, you're just too stupid, you don't understand, um, you know, standard kind of stuff you get once you get scholastics who get stuck in a rut and they really can't get any farther than what their 
great heroes have, have given to them in the first place, but they're willing to attack anyways. Happens all the time to me right now. That's not what the real issue is. Oh, we can talk about them. It's important. I'm not saying Christology isn't important. I mean, listen to the last two programs I did. Where it's the main thing we were talking about. But the fundamental issue is source of truth and authority. And I don't... I know that I, I I don't think these are in the archives. Maybe they are. How far back the archives go? 98? Yeah, archives of the, of the program. Well, we don't have... Yeah, we've got certain ones, but as far as actually having the dividing lines specifically, I thought it was the late 90s that we sort of pick up with uh, the radio station and stuff. Oh, I know we did. I just didn't think they were available. Um, when the Forgotten Trinity came out, one of the things that I emphasized was the fact that I wanted people to be passionate about how God has revealed himself to his people because he wants us to worship him as he is. And therefore, if he, in his divine revelation, has deigned it appropriate to reveal these things, then, then we need to know these things. We, we need to be diligent in searching the scriptures so that we can have a firm grounding and a, and a passionate belief in the Trinity. And one of the things that I, I remember saying is I said, I've never understood why most books on the Trinity are just stultifyingly boring. They're just stultifyingly boring. Most of them are. You go back and, and read the books. There, there just doesn't seem to be any passion about it. And to be a passionate Trinitarian, I believe, means you need to be a biblical Trinitarian. Because I believe Christ's sheep hear Christ's voice, and they hear Christ's voice in his speaking. And that's in his word. And over and over again, when we get, when we start engaging what I would call the neo-scholastic side on this subject, this is what it comes back to. It comes back to where are you going to derive your beliefs from? And if you derive your beliefs from a solid commitment to the scriptures as the inspired word of God, I believe that's how we pray this way. Do, do we have you never heard anyone pray at the end of a service? Lord, write your truth which we have heard on our hearts by your spirit. There needs to be a spiritual application, not just an intellectual apprehension. That's why when I see, as I saw yesterday, someone saying that key elements of the, of the Christian theology of God are not derived from Scripture, they're derived from natural theology. Uh, I, I actually literally get angry, I get upset at the implicit denial of scriptural sufficiency that is found in that kind of assertion. And so what we've done for years and years and years is to try to encourage people 
to worship God aright because they're worshiping him as he has revealed himself in his inspired word. And that's really what continues to motivate me as I speak to people who are caught up in this, as I speak to pastors and educators and professors and students. Um, a lot of people have already seen what the issues really are. The issues really are source issues, scriptural sufficiency, hermeneutical issues, sola scriptura, not solo, sola scriptura. And so I can get tired of going back over the same things, going back, having to deal with misrepresentation just daily. I mean, the number of professing Christian believers who are willing to believe anything they're told without checking things out is just disappointing. Really, really is. So I keep doing it because the issue is scriptural sufficiency. And what was the very first debate I did? August of 1990. It's on Sola Scriptura with Jerry Matatix over in California. So... um it's not like we're doing anything we haven't been doing for a long, long time. And um, so I think it's, yes, sir, important. So I just did a quick look, and there's at least 50 recordings between 1985 and 1993 that we have on Sermon Audio. Wow. That's news to me. That's news to me. I did not know that. Are most of them debates and stuff? You got the one here, the teaching on the attributes of God. Uh, then you've got uh, the one where you went back and forth with Ann McKinney. Um, oh, yeah. Teaching on Galatians 1, 6 through 10. I mean, justification by faith seminar is up there. Remember that? Or what? How many people we have show up for that? Five? Oh, those would have, you know, five, ten people probably. I was in there recording everything I could. Yep. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. Those are the olden days. But the point is, we've been at this for a long time, and we've been we've been consistent. By the way, before I forget, uh, grieving uh, your path back to peace is now in uh, audio format and is therefore available on Audible. Um, it can't be very long. Uh, it doesn't say here. Uh, unabridged. Well, unabridged. Well, yeah, I'd expect <laughs> it's not. It's a short book. Uh, Larry Wayne did the reading. And um, so look at Audible and uh, that, you know, a lot of pastors just buy a dozen, keep them in their office. But there are Audible learners that are more, you know, they, they'll listen, but they won't read. So that might be a, another way to do it. Grab some of the CDs or you know, something along those lines uh, for folks to get hold of the grieving book. But it's uh, it's now in audible format. So grab that if you uh, have, if you're involved in pastoral ministry. Uh, let's talk a few, about a few things. We have an entire cult that is taking over our lives called the climate cult. A minuscule, tiny percent of 
Earth's atmosphere is made up of carbon dioxide. The biggest uh, heat-absorbing element of our atmosphere is called water vapor. Okay, water vapor. Anybody starts going after water vapor and we need to vape them (laughs) fairly quickly because water is sort of important. And um, the fact is, and this has been known for a long, long time, there is a chart, it's been demonstrated over and over again, starts up here and goes like this and then just flattens out. And what it is, is this is the impact of the increase of the percentage of CO2 parts per million. And after a certain bit, and we're well past this, we're, it goes like this, and we're here, and it just flattens out. You could double the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere right now. Wouldn't have any impact. And the plants would love it. It's plant food. The plants would think it was great. But this entire hoax, and it is a massive hoax, um, and this may mean that this is a video not to put on YouTube, to be honest with you, because... When you, when you call these things what they are, um, the, the people that are profiting the most will censor you because they are totalitarians. As you watch um, the destruction of our nation, the United States of America, the West in general, the methodology that's being used, now I, I think God's doing it. He's punishing us, and, and, and appropriately so. Uh, But that doesn't mean that we do not stop speaking the truth, even when we recognize only God can give ears to hear. Um, The the absurdities that are being done, um, the, the amount of damage done to the environment by the produce, by, by the production of electric vehicles is so far beyond the use of clean fossil fuels, of of which the United States has more than any other stinking nation in the world, which is why the Saudis look at us and go, excuse me, you have far larger oil reserves than we do, but you want us to drain ours out. And of course, we discovered yesterday, Biden actually just asked them to hold off until after the midterms because he was using foreign influence to, to influence elections. I mean, the corruption of the regime, the corruption of the FBI in, in uh, raiding pro-lifers' homes, the, the Department of Injustice starting an entire pro-abortion program. It's just the, the brakes are off. The hand of restraint has been lifted. And the culture of death, the climate cult is part of the culture of death. It's part of the worship of nature, but it's it's a worship of nature that is destroying nature. <laughs> and now it seems like the, the elites are doing everything they can to get us a, a nice, hot nuclear war going. Uh, I think they really, you, we need to, when it's called the culture of death, we need to take seriously the fact that these people want to have less than, about one-third of the number of people on Earth that are currently on Earth, and there's only one way to do that quickly. Uh, it is amazing to to recognize the interconnectedness of all this of all this stuff. When you look at it from a Christian perspective, 
Um, and so to see just just the term climate is just it's just used as a over climate and racism no longer have any meaning because they're used for everything. You might as well say put put a little climate on that burger and hold the racism. It doesn't make any difference because all the all these words are just so overused and applied to so many things that has have no meaning that it's astonishing. But the climate cult, talk about a religion. It is it is absolutely astonishing. Um was informed yesterday, day before yesterday, one or two. Well, it had been yesterday, because uh, I was home. Um the 1946 movie, which we have been warning you about for, I don't know, up to a year now, maybe? Because I know uh, it was one of the, the first time we tackled it was one of the early programs in the big studio. So whenever we got that ready to go. I forget when that was. Uh, but the 1946 movie, which is the revisionist movie trying to say the Bible never talks about homosexuality and it's going to be the redefining of arsenicoites and the, uh, just a, the, just a, a linguistic nightmare uh, that any person who actually understands translation of texts and languages, things like that will should be able to see through in an instant, but a lot of people won't for various reasons. Uh, we'll be premiering in New York City on the 12th of November. And so I sent that email to Michael Brown, and he and I both had at the exact same time the exact same thought, which was, um, I'm going to uh, go on the line of fire to talk about it. He's going to come on the dividing line to talk about it. And we will, we've, what did I say from the beginning? We're being handed an opportunity um, to use this film as a open door to speak the truth about what God's word says on the subject of homosexuality. And one of the things that's especially helpful here is the, the focus is in first Corinthians chapter six. Yes. First Timothy chapter one, verse 10 is very, very important, more important than I've ever thought that it was before. Once I came to understand that, First Timothy 1.10 is a repetition of the Decalogue. And therefore, Paul is identifying within the context of sexual sin, the concept of homosexuality. But the point is, 1 Corinthians 6, such were some of you. Those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Such were some of you, but you were changed. You were washed, you were justified. So there's a message of hope, but it's a message of hope for the repentant person. And it's right there in the text you need to be addressing. Where arsenicoitai, it's plural there, arsenicoitai and malakoi is used. And so we've already done a couple of programs. It means we're going to be doing a couple more. Um, I just, if you're in churches where you've got people to do outreach, you're going to be going out, you know, Apologia does a tremendous amount of outreach and we've got people to go out to uh, strip clubs and, and abortion centers and LDS word chapels and everything else and over to the university, all that kind of stuff. Anybody who's going to be going out and dealing with the public, with the culture, this is something you're really going to need to know. 
and not only to be able to respond to people who will see it and repeat the errors in it, but to then be able to turn around and use it, uh, use it to uh, be a positive witness. So that comes out on November 12th. And uh, I'm sure you'll be, I'm sure the, the uh, media will be fawning over it and, and you'll be seeing it on all the news outlets and stuff like that. So that is uh, coming. Um, you may have heard that yesterday, I believe, Nicholas Cruz, who murdered 17 people in the Parkland shootings, was that 2018, I think, um, was given a life sentence without possibility of parole, was not given the death sentence. And I, I think we're in a little better position today then we've, I, I think 2020 gave a shot in the arm for people to recognize that a biblical faith, a firm biblical faith, has a moral element to it because God has spoken as to what is appropriate and inappropriate in his law. And so I think a lot more people have recognized that what has happened, and I think, I think it was in Florida, what has happened in this trial is you have an individual who took, in a premeditated fashion, 17 lives. And that he's already gotten to live more than four years past taking 17 lives. And he will live the rest of his natural life, which could be another 70 years or more as a slave because that's, that's what imprisonment is. It's slavery. Um, you are put in a cage and all your freedoms are taken away, but you're fed and you're clothed and you're housed and your medical needs are taken care of. And who knows, hopefully not in Florida, but if it's a federal situation, if he decides he's a woman, um, we could end up paying for uh, surgery and reassignment to a women's prison and all the other insanity that is a part of these situations. The reality is this is an interesting um, factoid about where Rome has gone off the rails because uh, Francis especially, you know, if I'm recalling correctly, changed the Universal Catholic Catechism to list uh, capital punishment as as sinful in God's sight, despite the fact that it's in Scripture, <laughs> and despite the fact that it's fundamental and foundational to any society that would value and honor life. There are 17 people who were cut off. 14 of them were, were students by this man, but he'll get to live his entire natural life. Now, what sh if, if he's going to live that period of time, what should he be doing? He should be putting in long days of hard labor, working and paying reparations to everyone, to every family that was impacted and to those who were injured as well. That's what he should be doing. He should have no comfort. Uh, he should have no vacations. 
He should be working 10-hour days and producing wealth that none of that goes to him. Every bit of it goes to those families. That, that would be justice if he's going to be kept alive. But the real justice would have been his appropriate execution. We are sadly, I certainly wouldn't play it even if I could find it. We are sadly in a situation where I saw a video, horrible video, of an execution. I think it was Chicago. Who knows? I mean, probably. Chicago, Philadelphia, they're all the same. They're war zones. Um, they, they are what happens when secularism takes full root and flowers and they become war zones where life doesn't matter. But these two black young men, I think their victim was a black man. Most, most of the violence is that way. Um, they shot him down and then they kept shooting him. And finally one guy ran up to him. He's already dead, I would assume. But he emptied the magazine. It was at least six rounds uh, at about four inches away from his head. Just unbelievable. And in a society where justice would matter at all, if this young man is caught and specifically identified, video everywhere, you could have DNA, you could have fingerprints, you could have everything. Clearly, this is the individual who got to within a few inches of this person's head and pumped six rounds into him. He should not be sitting in prison four years later. There should be a public execution in a very brief period of time after, and the trial shouldn't take months and years. When you have that level of clarity, any society that wants to remain a society that cares about life, because if he'll do it to that person, he'll do it to somebody else. And that person, maybe it was another gang member. That's what a lot of it is. If you, I don't know why the, the news won't talk about it, but a lot of it is. A lot of it has to do with drugs. Um, drugs are destroying lives right left and center far more far more than covid ever did or anything like that and yet we because we have abandoned a christian worldview and an understanding of man creating the image of god we don't care we just look the other way um until it affects us i i got bum rushed by a drug addled homeless guy in my own front yard last night came running straight at me out of the dark um in a Relatively safe na- neighborhood. Unfortunately, we're close to a canal that is no longer safe. It's become, thanks to our WEF-associated mayor in the city of Phoenix, has become a center of drug activity and homelessness and violence and everything else. Uh, purposefully. That's what the WEF does. But um, I'm mind my own business, my own driveway. And here comes this guy out of the dark coming straight at me. Last night, I'm still here. Um, evidently yelling and adopting a defensive position 
was enough to make him go a little bit out of his path. And I was able to keep away from him and he kept on a moving. Uh, drug addled people don't think things through quite as well as people who aren't. Anyways, it's all around us. It's, all, it's, it's, it's everywhere. And we wonder why. Because we don't, we don't have shame anymore. We don't have any grounds for honoring life. When you fry a human brain, um, that, is a, that is not a, an amoral act. It's an immoral act. It once brought shame. Now it's just, well, you're just a bunch of fizzing chemicals. You're just changing the chemicals. Who cares, right? There is only one solution for all of this. There is only one thing to direct people to. And secular humanism has no answers. Last thing for today. I'm going to tell you. I, I used to sit here and when I would see these stories, I would go, well, uh, couldn't ever pass. It would get struck down by somebody's Supreme Court. Whatever, right? Well, I'm I'm losing any of that kind of confidence uh, these days. But uh, did you see the story today about um, Delegate Elizabeth Guzman, Democratic, of course, Virginia state lawmaker? wants to pass legislation that would make parents face criminal charges if they refused to affirm their child's sexual orientation and gender identity. Let me, let me repeat that because sometimes when you read insane statements, it, it takes a little while to, to uh, sink in. A Democratic Virginia state lawmaker, Elizabeth Guzman, wants to pass legislation that would make parents face criminal charges if they refused to affirm their child's sexual orientation and gender identity. This is supposed to be pushed back against Governor Glenn Youngkin's issuance of new rules on transgender students in schools, which is nothing more than, you know, being sane about these types of things. Um, the day that Governor Yunkin wanted to implement this policy, I immediately texted the policy lead of that committee and said, this is how we're going to push back. Uh, Guzman's bill would include refusal to accept gender and sexual identity in the definition of child abuse. Child abuse. So, so CPS, Child Protective Services, would be called in if you refused to affirm um, you know, your three-year-old decides, um, I mean, your three-year-old decides they're an elephant. If you do not provide them a diet of peanuts and a place of straw to sleep in, I suppose that's child abuse too. I just, um, if the child shares with those mandated report reporters, what they're going through, we are talking about not only physical abuse or mental abuse, what the job of the mandated reporter is to, infor- is to inform Child Protective Services. So there you go. Um, 
The worst part was, let me see here. Yeah, here. I'm a little surprised that there wasn't lightning um, and fire, maybe the earth opening up. They'd all be appropriate responses, to be honest with you. But um, when challenged that the proposed law might infringe on parents' religious freedom, Guzman claimed the Bible says everyone should be accepted. The Bible says to accept everyone for who they are. So that's what I tell them when they ask me that question, and that's what I will continue to tell people, she responded. Yeah, I, I would, I'd like to know where the Bible uh, actually says to accept everyone for who they are. Look, she's a Democrat. And um, so the the chances that she's actually at all familiar with what's in the Bible are very, very, very small. Uh, but she probably believes that because she's heard it and it's been repeated to her in the echo chambers, the tiny little echo chambers of woke insanity out of which these people come and immediately head for places of political power. The, the bent toward totalitarianism within secularism needs to be understood. Secularism is a religious worldview. It has creeds and dogmas and sacraments, and um, it's, it's primarily apophatic. That is, it's primarily negative. Um, we don't believe in God. We don't believe man's made in the image of God. But there are positive things, because when they say that we don't believe man's made in the image of God, there is a positive, as in positive assertion, not positive as in good, assertion that man cannot have transcendent meaning because man is not specially created. Man is a cosmic accident. Man has no soul or spirit. Uh, man will not face judgment after death. And so there may not be a, a positive creedal statement that lays those things out, but any religious belief that says those things, that affirms those things, that there will be judgment, that man is made in the image of God, man's responsible and culpable before God, can't be believed. And if you insist in the face of us wise educators and social workers to continue to believe these things, we will take your children from you. That's when the Civil War starts. That's, that's when violence starts. I'll, I'll, and how else could it be? How else could it be? What, what can any parent do when the priests of Moloch come to take your children to offer them on the altar? There, there's only one thing to do. And the bent, the, the, the drive, the necessity of crushing all opposition. You see, every system that says that it promotes a universal truth 
eventually must crush all opposition. And that includes Christianity. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God, the father that's there, but it's the how it's how you get there. It's how you get to that point. That is so completely different because in Christianity, it's, it's not by taking children's parents or, um, injections and, um, everything else. It is by a change of the heart. That's how you come to embrace what God is doing and, and embrace what is true and right and honest. Secularism is the polar opposite of that. And so you have the specter of all those, all those novels from the 1940s through 80s that warn about totalitarianism and warn about the mindset behind it. And many of them contain much truth. But for the Christian, it's just simply take Romans 1 and remove all the restraints. And what are you going to have? You're going to have a twisted creature of God that is suppressing the knowledge of God and encouraging everybody else to join them in the suppression of God's knowledge. That's secularism. That's that's why we are seeing pretty much the entire vice list of Romans chapter 1 turned into the virtue list of the modern Western culture. We're to honor father and mother. Not anymore. In fact, you can destroy the very categories of father and mother themselves. Look at Romans 1, negate it, and you will find the progressive Democratic Party. <laughs> that's, that's who they are. It's what, what it's about. That's what's going on. And look, the vast majority, hey, a Republican who hates God is just in slower motion than a Democrat who hates God. That, that's all there is to that. <clears throat> um, we will at some point have to have a conversation about the upcoming 2024 election. We're already in the cycle, whether you want to believe it or not. And we will have to have a discussion, I think. At least I'll share with you what, what I'm thinking. And you can hate me for it or anything else, but that's fine. Uh, but applying a biblical worldview here, you can see why. If the central aspect of what secularism is, is the suppression of the truth of God. You can see exactly how it's working out in our world today. And in the gathering of power and authority in the hands of just a few. The result is going to be something that we need to be praying about and working as hard as we can against uh, if we love our children and our grandchildren, and I certainly do. And in fact, uh, Sunday evening, close up with this, I have the opportunity of, um, I'm doing the baptismal service at Apologia. We're going to have at least 14, maybe 15 baptisms Sunday evening. And uh, one of them will be my darling granddaughter, Janie. So I'm looking forward very much. That's one of the reasons we did what we did this week as fast as we did, because I needed to be back. Uh, Sunday, grandpa needed to be uh, at church. I'm preaching. 
on Romans 11 and the olive tree. And all of my paedo-baptist friends just went, ooh. (laughs) And this may be the last in the baptism series. It may be. I'll I'll have to see if there's any holes that need to be uh, looked at. There may be some key texts we didn't get to that I thought we did and didn't or something like that. But uh, I'm looking forward to that tomorrow uh, greatly. So, Lord willing, fairly regular schedule next week. Maybe, sort of. Who knows? (laughs) I've been gone for five weeks, and my wife says I have much to be doing uh, to to catch up. And I I get that. I understand that. But uh, uh, things develop, and we need to address them. So thanks for watching Dividing Line today. Uh, Lord willing, next week we'll see you. God bless.